0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCoursey here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So whether you've been in business for a long time or you're thinking about starting a new one, one thing that you're either going to go through or already did was the process of setting up a business entity. And, you know, this is something that I'll just be upfront. This is not always the most exciting part of your business, but then again, it also is because once you create an entity for your business, and there's so many different reasons why you do this or why you do that, um, you have something real and you are moving forward with this. Now, one thing I want to let you know is that every Monday in May, we're going to be bringing you episodes that are sponsored by a company called URA, that's Universal Registered Agents. And we're going to talk about a whole lot of different stuff. And today we're going to go ahead and get right into talking about setting up a business entity. Now, if you listen to the show regularly, you know, I'm not an attorney. And I'm not going to give you legal advice because I can't, but my guest today will. Now, before I tell you who that is, I want to get a quick question for you. Are, you. are you thinking about starting a new business or expanding a current one? If you are, then it's important to get it set up and maintain properly. That's exactly what the folks at Universal Universal Registered Agents do. LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, nonprofits. What is all that? But it's, I'll tell you what, it's not a problem when you go to URAgents.com. There's a link for that in the show notes. You can learn more about by clicking that and with that i'm going to go ahead and tell you that with me today i've got melody ashby and she is a senior attorney at meyer law which is in chicago illinois you can also learn more about our guests in that practice by going to meetmeyerlaw.com melody welcome to startup hustle
1: hey thanks so much for having me it's great to be here excited to talk about setting up business entities
0: yeah. And, and you are, you are licensed to talk about that, right?
1: <laughs> I am. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's so much that goes into that and we're going to talk about about plenty of that. But before we get into that, let's get a little bit more about your backstory. So tell us, tell us who you are and what brought you to being a senior attorney.
1: Yeah, so I um, started out my career in corporate and have been with Meyer Law now for the past almost 10 years. Meyer Law, we are a boutique firm specializing in helping technology companies, really from startups to corporations in a few key areas in corporate, contracts, employment, intellectual property, fundraising, and then privacy matters. And so we've really helped thousands of companies from startups all the way up to larger organizations, Um, and we mentor across the U.S. at various incubators and accelerators. So happy to be here and share the knowledge.
0: Yeah, and I've got a couple other things that go with that. So, you know, Meyer Law, according to my notes, is an award-winning, award-winning, women-owned law firm that specializes in what you said, helping technology companies from startups to large corporations. But uh, you guys have helped thousands of companies and, uh, you know, even f- companies that have been featured on Shark Tank to companies that have been in the Inc. 500. And, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, you've also mentored a lot of companies uh, through incubators and as you mentioned, such as now more specifically, such as 1871, WeWork Labs and the very well-known Techstars. So yeah, a lot going, congratulations on all that. And oh man, if those walls could talk, I'm sure you have (laughs) experienced a lot of stuff. So, you know, we're we're talking about, uh, you know, so a business entity, what does that even mean? Let's just start there. Like what is an entity?
1: Yeah, so it's going to be anything separate from yourself, right? So the simplest way to do business when you're just starting out is just by yourself, which is considered a sole proprietorship. So what that means is that there's no legal distinction from you and a business because it's just you. So when we say setting up a, a an entity, what we really mean is taking a step and setting up a formal filing, you know, with the state to do business under anything other than yourself really.
0: Yeah, and so now by default pretty much anyone's a sole proprietor. So if you are making pot holders and selling them on Etsy, You are, by default, a sole proprietor of a potholder business in many regards, correct? That
1: is absolutely correct. And what some sole proprietors do is if they don't want to operate, for example, if I just didn't want to operate under Melody Ashby, what I could do is file a fictitious name or DBA, which stands for doing business as, to operate under a different name. But the problem with sole proprietorship in general is that you're just taking on unlimited liability. So it's going to be recommended to set up a separate business entity from yourself.
0: Yeah, and the, and one thing that comes with sole proprietorship, and for those of you that are unaware, my book Million Dollar Bedroom uh, is an educational narrative about the walkthrough of myself starting up a business and the extra bedroom in my home, which I did well over a decade ago with nothing other than a credit card with an $8,000 limit. And, uh, you know, and so technically that was at first a sole proprietorship, but when it grew legs and started doing business, I realized that I needed added levels of protection. So when you're a sole proprietor, you are also providing a direct line of sight from the business and the problems or liabilities that could be created as a result of this to your family, your home, your personal bank account, and a lot of stuff. So part of the process of setting up an entity is to protect yourself from some of those things on a personal level.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the biggest disadvantage with the sole proprietorship is that there is no legal distinction between you and the business. And so a sole proprietor in that essence is going to be personally liable for really all of the debts and obligations of the business. And since by definition, only one person runs it, you can't issue equity um, to key employees or, you know, seek investment or, and also upon a death or incapacity, the business is going to stop existing.
0: Yeah. And that's, and, you know, so once in my opinion, and once again, I'm not, don't take anything I say in this episode as legal advice. I'm just giving you my own experience. And the reason that I knew I needed to move from that away from a sole proprietorship was for the reasons you mentioned, you know, and 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 you know really one of the most common things that could occur is just simple lawsuits that exist cuz a lot, you know, a lot of businesses that are sole proprietorships get started because people are providing services to other people or businesses where you know, that love, like something could happen. I don't know. Like, I mean, you you know, like uh, we like to say shit happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any attorney knows that they're kind of in business for that reason, but you never know what that could be. And uh, the thing is, is is at the same time, uh, the U.S. government and our economy in general want to encourage people to start businesses and be entrepreneurial and not have to feel like their entire everything is on the hook. So, yeah, I think that's one of the more important things when it starts to, to occur now. But if we're going to start an entity, so we'll move past the idea of sole proprietorship. But when it comes, one of the first steps of setting up a business entity is we have to, deter, in some cases, determine an actual location for it to be set up, right?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, in my line of practice, um, I often will get customers or new potential customers, I should say, that will come to me and say, well, I need to set up a Delaware (laughs) C-Corp. And, you know, that's a common occurrence. And my first question is always, well, why do you want to set up a Delaware C-Corp? You know, to understand where they're coming from. Um, You know, a Delaware C Corp is not meant for everybody and there's no one size fits all um, because it's always going to vary on the different forms of business your goals for the business, what you plan on doing. And so from that perspective, you know, you always have to look at where you're planning on doing business. Is it where you're located? Then look into initially the state where you're located, right? You save on some fees based on keeping where you're located. Um, But there are reasons to do business in other states to take advantage of state law. So there are some nuances to consider, uh, you know, depending on where you want to start.
0: So, and, and one thing you, in my opinion, you need to be careful of is sometimes it can seem super clever to set something up out of the area that you're in. And then if your business gets traction and you want to get support, from your local anything, business development, there could be grants, investments. Some, sometimes you, now you've positioned yourself out of that world and you end up having to move the business legally back to wherever you're at. Now, you mentioned some of the more popular states, Delaware being you know one of the most, Montana, South Dakota, Florida, Texas, and Idaho, um, which, which all... Uh, uh, upon first glance, are states that are very friendly from a tax perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So a lot of folks are like, "Oh, I'm going to set up in Delaware because of the tax benefits." But it's sort of one of those things where, unless you're in Delaware physically, sometimes you're not really getting those tax benefits. Yeah. And then the other thing that I often, you know, uh, where I think a lot of startups fail is to understand is that if you start in Delaware, but let's just say that you're operating in Florida. What that means is you have to take your Delaware entity, get it registered to do business in Florida, which then means you're paying double state fees to keep the company in good standing. And so, just starting out, now you're paying additional fees that maybe you didn't initially intend to pay. And so, some some folks starting out, I don't think realize that. So, you know, thinking through where you want to do business, um, and where you're at, you know, keeping in mind that nothing is set in stone; everything can always be changed if needed but it is an added cost to doing business in a different state.
0: Why what is this the specific reason that everyone's in love with Delaware or has been in the past? Like what what is, yeah. is that the and is that the only attractive thing about Delaware?
1: Yeah, so Delaware has a separate business chancery court where really everything's been litigated under the sun. And so from an investor perspective, they know exactly what their rights are with respect Mm -hmm. to their holdings. Um, You know, they know what informational rights they have when they are seeking investment. And so a lot of times you'll get investors who when they're investing in your business want you to be in Delaware for that reason. And so Delaware has positioned itself to be kind of the hub and mecca of business formation from that perspective. And so that's why you'll often hear that.
0: So I'll give, I, I like to give real life examples whenever I, I find one that that is related to me. So my business full scale, if you sign a master service agreement or a service contract with us, there's lines in there that say in the event of some kind of dispute, the, this will be handled in the state of Kansas, mm-hmm. which is not super convenient if you live in Maine (laughs) or Florida or somewhere like that. Now, from an investor's perspective is, um, you know, anytime someone's buying equity or putting money into your company or whatever, like, okay, here's the the stark reality of it. And we're so committed to telling the real story of entrepreneurship. Hey, look, the numbers are not in your favor as an entrepreneur, starting a new business. So if things go off the rails, and I think that the one attorney that is on the show will agree that any good contract has sunny and rainy day provisions in it. So what you're saying is from an investor standpoint, there's a stronger understanding of understanding what possible recourse there could be in either direction that the business goes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, everything has been litigated in Delaware when it comes to ownership from an equity perspective and shares perspective. And so understanding that recognition is why sometimes you want to take advantage of that state law to be the home state, so to speak.
0: I also think
1: that it's easier to, you know, depending on where you're at, but let's just say that it's just a complete startup and there's no... Plans for, for example, investment or whatnot, you know, you could always start in the state where you're located to keep things easy. And then as you need to make changes, you can make changes. And there's many states that allow for things like statutory conversions and domestications where you can move the entity easily. And it's not a huge undertaking from a cost perspective.
0: So w- with the different types of entities and, you know, I rattled through a, a list pretty quickly uh, at the beginning, you obviously saw proprietorship is kind of the default mm-hmm. d- d- de facto where you start. Uh, you, then you, you, this is where some people, I think they begin to become confused with what the options are. It feels like, oh, my God. So an overwhelmed or confused mind almost always says no. And I've talked to so many people that have a business and I'm like, well, how's it set up? They're like, well, it's not, I'm just like doing business. I'm like, we got to change that. This is not the best setup for you. And they're like, well, what, what are my options? I'm like, well, there's LLCs, S corp, C corps, blah, blah, blah. And you know, you just see the eyes glaze over. Um, You know, when we get into the different types of entities um, the LLC and the corporation have some inherent differences between them. What are the ones that stand out the most in, in your expert opinion?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, with a limited liability company, what it really is, is a hybrid entity. And so it takes the benefits of a corporation and then it takes the benefits of a partnership and kind of merges it together into this nice one entity And so it's great in the sense that it protects against personal liability, which is similar to a corporation, but it has general partnership flexibility for tax purposes. Now, assuming you have more than one person forming an LLC, the default would be that you would be taxed like a partnership. And so you're probably wondering, well, what does that even mean? It means that, you know, for partnership taxation, everything's kind of passed through to you and your partner from an individual Capacity in your report on your individual tax return. So it flows through to the owners. Whereas with a corporation, what happens is the corporation itself has to pay a tax to the IRS. And then the only time that the shareholders or owners in the corporation would report on their taxation would be if there's some type of dividend or distribution. There is a double taxation that happens with corporations. um, So sometimes that could be a, a disadvantage if you're going with a corporation. But for an LLC, it's probably one of the most flexible forms of doing business, you know, I think one of the biggest selling points is the fact that it has this flexibility. There's no ownership restrictions on who may be a member. There's also no requirement that profits and losses get distributed strictly based on ownership percentage. You know, an operating agreement for a limited liability company can include allow or allow for any disproportionate allocations decided amongst the owners. So there's definitely some advantages with the flexibility with an LLC. I would say one of the disadvantages for a limited liability company, you know, in order to be treated as a partnership from a tax perspective, you really need at least two members. And so you know, what that means is if I'm the only person and I'm setting up an LLC, although I'll receive limited liability protection, I really don't get any tax advantages because you'll automatically be considered a sole proprietor from a tax perspective if you're setting up an LLC by yourself.
0: So really, unless you're, and through my experience, unless you're planning on having a bunch of people involved, like it is, I don't know, it, they may have t- taken it down. I believe at the time that the last LLC I formed, I could have up to 70, like the 75th person was the threshold that like there was a maximum. That went with that, meaning like the corporate, the corporate. So what one, actually one thing we also should mention in an LLC, you have members. Mm-hmm. So you're members of the LLC and corporations, you have shareholders and yeah, share great. and corporations issue dividends where LLCs distribute profit to said members. So now are they one and the same for what you're probably going to experience? Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would say um, LLCs actually, I think what you might be referring to are S corporations. They have limitations yeah. of how many owners there can be, but Correct. in an LLC, there's, you could have unlimited number of okay. members. Um, but I will say, you know, I would say one, it's a blessing and a curse with an LLC when you have more than one individual in it. Although you get all of this flexibility, which is great, LLCs tax like a partnership, you know there's complex partnership tax rules and have, you know, tax implications. It can trigger pages and pages of tax provisions and operating agreements and ongoing compliance costs. And so uh, one of the other, I guess, disadvantages in some views would be that earnings of most members, again, members of an LLC or the owners, they're generally going to be subject to self-employment tax since an LLC is not subject to that double taxation that I mentioned with a corporation and so the profits are automatically included in the member's income. So there's a lack of kind of uniformity around limited liability company statutes as well, which means operating in one more than one state could mean that your LLC is treated differently. So there are some nuances with LLCs. Um, additionally, if you're going to be raising capital and you have a limited liability company, you may want to consider alternatives depending on the type of investment that you're seeking as well.
0: Yeah, one of the things that you'll you'll see a lot when venture capital or in quote institutional money comes in is they may want you to switch from an they may want you to turn from an LLC into some level of corporate status.
1: Yeah, that's right. A lot of venture capitalists actually have fund documents that prevent them from investing in a pass-through tax entity. So a pass-through tax entity would be an S corporation or a limited liability company. And because they have these restrictions, that's where you'll often see um, LLCs having to convert to a C corporation.
0: Yeah, they don't want the K1. And we'll talk a little bit more. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And I'll give you some real, real examples with it. And first off, just, you know, setting up a new business and maintaining compliance isn't easy. That's why it's important to have expert help along the way. And that's exactly what you'll find when you visit the Universal Registered Agents website. There's a link for that in the show notes. You can type in the letter letter U, the letter R, the word agents.com for all of your business setup and maintenance needs. They can help you set up an, LLC, a corporation or nonprofits, wherever you're located. In addition to helping you create the right type of entity, universal can also help you with registered agent service and a wide variety of corporate services, as well as helping meet the needs of independent directors. Um, so, you know, we were just talking about some of the tax provisions. So if you own, uh, so I personally, via full, well, via full scale, the company that I've owned, we've invested in some other businesses that we took part in a, in a, in a ownership manner that requires that we get a K-1 form, which is if you own a percentage of the company, um, you need to get a K-1. So their, their wins or losses transfer through to you. Now, here's where that becomes an inherent headache is I can't file my real taxes until I have the k ones from all of these companies, which means if one of them, for some or whatever reason, decides to file an extension, I gotta wait it out. <laughs> and it, I gotta be honest, it's a pain in the ass. yeah, it really is because like I've had that happen each of the last three years, and it just kind of slows things down. It's just kind of an, it's an annoyance. Now you got to think from terms of like a venture capital setup. If they have to collect 40 of those, it becomes a completely different thing. So Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. And, and, then then, also, and that's what oh go
1: ahead. I was just gonna say from the company side, if you have a hundred members in your LLC issuing out all of those K1s could equally be a headache for you. So
0: yeah. And that's, uh, it gets, it gets hairy. So, you know, one of the the more important things that many will say is you start projects or things with the end result in mind. So, you know, now there's also, you don't want to overcomplicate things if you don't need to have a Delaware based uh, S Corp or C Corp. If you have a cleaning business that comes over and cleans my house twice a month, you, know? <laughs> right, exactly. you don't, you don't. I mean, you really don't. So, all right, let's talk about S, like the the letter S, which uh, in, in return, uh, in regards to corporations is a buzzword, but really what S is, is an election that you take that makes you that pass through entity that we were talking about. So I want to, before we before the experts continue to weigh in, those licensed to give this advice, I will tell you that from my, from my experience, that, that S election is what Exactly what Melody was explaining earlier, which it allows the end, it prevents double taxation is is the bottom line of that. And it's there for that purpose to not create an unfair or unadvantageous situation where a business or small business, and by the way, most businesses are small business. So they don't want to, they don't want to take, take away from that. So as I have this written S S corporation, so it, it can be incorporated as it can be set up as an LS, LLC as well. I mean, my business is an LLC that takes an S election and it makes uh you know, it's a special, it's a form you fill out with the IRS and, uh, a CPA or any registered accounting firm should be able to help you handle that and what that you, you do still retain the same benefits of an LLC. and But uh, the wages that would, as Melody mentioned earlier, that are subjected to self-employment tax can remain as profits or are distributed amongst the the owners as, well, it says dividends in my notes, but in an LLC, you get distributions. So, hmm. you know, like now, now overall, I mean, as is, is an S election something that, all that most small businesses take?
1: I would say that it depends on the business. I'm going to give you a lawyer answer of it depends. But um, (laughs) with an S corporation, there's certain requirements that you have to meet. And so, as you mentioned, it's pass-through status with the IRS. So, how you would set up a S corporation is you would essentially set up either a limited liability company or a regular corporation, and you elect the pass-through status with the IRS, as you mentioned, just filling out a form. Um, But to qualify as an S-corporation status, the company has to meet a few requirements. You have to be a domestic company. You're only allowed shareholders that are individuals, certain trusts, or estates. So what that means is if you have another corporation that wants to be an owner, you cannot be an S corporation at that point. Um, You can't have partnerships as owners in your S corporation. It has to be individuals. And those individuals have to be permanent residents or U.S. citizens. And then you're not allowed to have more than 100 shareholders, and you're only allowed one class of stock. So for most small businesses, as you mentioned, you know, it probably works out. You know, what what happens with an S corporation and why it's beneficial from a tax perspective is because you are required to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So reasonable is kind of a gray area and it's going to be dependent on the business, your income and all of that. But you pay yourself a reasonable salary. And then outside of that, if you make a distribution to yourself, it's going to be then tax free. Right. And so there's tax benefits that you would get as opposed to say a, a single member LLC taxed as a sole proprietor. And so so long as the formalities are you know followed, an S corporation has an effective shield of liability. The shareholders or owners, depending on how your underlying entity is set up, is only going to be liable for the debts and obligations of the company up to their investment. Profits and losses flow through to you on your individual tax return. And so I would say, you know, it's ideal for anybody who can meet those eligibility requirements, um, providing you with strong protection for personal liability and that pass through tax treatment. So if somebody has incoming revenue, like consulting revenue or generating business on a regular basis, you know, a lot of times it makes sense to make that S election.
0: Okay, so what I don't want to skip over this before we get into the rest of, of what will be kind of a rapid fire list, but there's quite a few steps that we still need to run through. When it comes to setting up a a nonprofit or a not for profit, how and when does how and when do you qualify for that?
1: Yeah, so if you are, you know, if I, if you look at a nonprofit, there's always going to be a purpose. And so depending on that purpose, and if your purpose is the goal is not to essentially make money, but to further a specific charitable, organizational, educational goal, then you can form a nonprofit. Now, nonprofits, I would say, is heavy lifting from a paperwork standpoint from an entity perspective up front, because there's quite a few steps. And depending on the state of where you're forming, there could be additional filings that have to get completed after the initial entity is formed. And then if you're looking to qualify for a tax exemption, then there's a separate step with the IRS that has to take place as well. But with a nonprofit, you know, what's key is that there's really no owner in a nonprofit, but there is directors. And typically most states require at least three individuals to act as your board of directors. And the board of directors are those individuals that ultimately are operating the entity and making those decisions. Um, so there's although there's no owner, the board kind of furthers the the goal of the nonprofit.
0: Yeah, and the for those that I've been around that have gone through that process, it it from the outside looking in, it it felt and seemed long and arduous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean like it, was,
0: like, it like it wasn't it wasn't as straightforward as like setting up an LLC or a corporation, yeah. which I mean that's the whole thing. Like you look at the the sponsor of today's show, like I mean, there's a, and, and, you know, that's a, the interesting thing is like some people, like, wait, there's a different attorney on this show. You know what I, what I found is a lot of attorneys don't even like doing that kind of setup kind of stuff because there are sites like you agents that make it pretty fast and painless. This is just about filling papers and paperwork. And, you know, it's kind of the same boxes now, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. They're, there's a lot more interesting stuff to do after this stuff is set up, but you know, the advice on what to set up and how to do it is important. So yeah. okay, then next, we get to choose a name. Yeah. It's just like this <laughs> is like naming your child, or maybe not, because you know, we you used a three-letter acronym DBA earlier. Mm-hmm. So you can call it kind of call your business whatever you want, but the name that you file under are the probably the best. Uh, and most interesting example is: Did you know that Google's corporate name is Alphabet? Right. Yeah. Which, and by you- the way, you can you can find at abc.xyz. Yeah. <laughs> that it really is. Go to abc.xyz, and that is actually Google's corporate website. Oh, which that. I, that last time good. I went was like a one-page thing that was kind of like ha ha. But you know, <laughs> but but with that, you have to check and make sure it's available, and there's a bit of a process through that.
1: There is a bit of a process. I mean, so one thing is checking to see your first option is to choose a name for the company itself. And then you need to decide whether that's the name you actually want to operate your business under, or do you want to operate your business under something else? Like I might want to start my business and just to get it incorporated, I'm going to call it ABC Inc, but I might want to do business as XYZ. And so that's when you would file an assumed name or a DBA for your business so that you can operate under a different name than your legal entity's name.
0: Yep. Uh, So then next, so assuming that we've got a free and clear path to the name that we want, which don't overthink that part.
1: Yeah. You know, I
0: mean, just I've seen seen people kind of get nuts about it. I'm like, you're going to kind of call yourself whatever you call yourself. Um, That's why you get checks from businesses sometimes that say like, my dog's name, LLC, you
1: know, <laughs> right. it, but
0: that wasn't what's, that isn't what it said on the van. <laughs> exactly. you know? So, so now it comes down to registering your business and that's back to where like you are agents helps. And, you know, this is a, uh, this is a process that, um, you know, I mean, honestly, it can be pretty straightforward. Like technically you can call the IRS and get a tax ID number. And last I did that before, um, it was actually in my million dollar bedroom story. Cause I went to open a bank account and they were like, do you have an entity? And I was like, no, hang on. And <laughs> like called and got a tax ID, which yeah. then by the way, created a whole nother world of problems. Cause I kind of broke the process of setting up an entity. I wish I had just used, you know, like I, the, you know, like the kit, like you get right. with the company, like you are agents. But with that, you're going to, you're going to be a, you're, you're going to file both on a state level. Um, and a federal level where you will get different, you will then become a number in their system. So when you hear TIN, tax identification number, uh, that's kind of like the social security number for your business per se, right? That's
1: exactly right. It is the social, you're a business entity. Think of it as a person separate from yourself and it has its own identification number. So that's exactly right.
0: It's EIN. EIN. And I know so much better than that. (laughs) Oh, it's been a long, we're, we're 32 minutes into talking about law. And if you know, it's okay. If you really want to throw a curveball at me, throw some accounting at me and who knows what'll happen. But, but look, these are, these are important things though. So now by nature, as a sole proprietor, you don't have any of this stuff.
1: That's right. You're just operating under your social security number. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not, not the recommended approach once again, Correct. at least from my, from my experience. So, um, you know, so, you know, with that, so here's a question is, is at what, is there at any point at which doing business on any level requires you to not be a sole proprietor? Not
1: necessarily. And not in- and. You could always be a sole proprietor operating, right? But I would say that what necessitates a change is if you are wanting to bring additional owners in, right? There is no ownership in a sole proprietor. You are the owner. You can't cut yourself in half, right? So you really need to set up a separate structure from yourself If you're looking to grant things like equity to service providers or bring on a co-founder of sorts, um, that's when you would really want to make sure that you're taking that separate step from an
0: ownership perspective. Now one one situation where okay this is a little different than what we were just talking about but you, but sole proprietors very much and and this is going to vary like no matter where, like where you're at there's no way for any for Melody to I, I know there's no way for you to advise on this one but um, every different municipality city states all of that require and some and depending on what you're doing and how you do it uh, very much require licenses and permits for all people performing certain services or even just existing. Like, and so in the, when we moved out of the million dollar bedroom into, from a completely different state into a new one, I had to do like a $10 a year business permit in Leewood, Kansas. Yeah. Right. And you know, that was it. And every year I got a letter that was like, or might've been 15 bucks but I had to fill that out. And, uh, you know, and so, and these are the things now that that could be $15 that you just send away that, but not doing that could result in like a $2,500 ticket or fine or, or, Someone literally coming and stopping the continuity of your business until which point you filled out the paper because you weren't compliant and then you had to send it into the city and wait for someone to put a stamp on it, which could. And and I guarantee you somewhere, somehow in the United States right now, someone just got their business turned off because they didn't fill out a stupid little permit or they got fined or something. That's common.
1: Yeah, it's super common. And I'll say, you know, it's funny because depending on again, where you live and the various ordinances, whether it's the county level city or state, if you're a sole proprietor, even if you're working from home, there's certain permits that you have to have to quote unquote work from home. So absolutely. Yep. It's additional step that I feel a lot of folks overlook.
0: Yeah, and then and you know what? COVID threw these weird curveballs at businesses that. So you look at like a business that's registered in the state of Kansas as opposed to Missouri. Now, for those of you that don't know. There's an invisible line that runs down the middle of my hometown in Kansas City that guarantees that things will be more complicated mm-hmm. for businesses and employees because half of the city's in Kansas and half of it's in Missouri. And then all of a sudden you had people that were working in Kansas that might have had some kind of employment tax there and now they're working at home in Missouri. You know, and and there's just all kinds of weird complications and there wasn't really a true precedent for some of that. And then how do you handle it? And like, I don't know, it goes on and on. Now, Melody, I got I have some disappointing news for both of us because we were going to avoid talking about accounting, but we kind of have to for this last step. And it's important. Uh, This is not fully accounting. But one of the important things of this whole process is if you are going to separate yourself from the business, you also have to do that financially. So, you know, business 101 class is going to teach you about a term called commingling, Mm. which you need to avoid, (laughs) meaning like you shouldn't your personal bank account and your business's bank account need to be separate. And they need to be two different things. Because you co-mingling them or putting them together in the same thing. First off, it's stupidly complex in many cases for your accountant to figure out later. And second off, you can't really say you are in fact a different entity if you're all co-mingled in a million different places. So opening a business bank account is a key, but you can't do that without any of the steps that led up to this.
1: Absolutely. And I think I alluded to when I kept saying keeping up with formalities, that is one of the formalities. And when we say that an entity provides you for, a, for personal liability protection, That really only occurs if you're keeping up with the formalities, and one of those is keeping a business account separate from your personal account. If you're using your business to pay for your groceries, we're going to have a problem. So you want to make sure that you're signing contracts in the business name, that all finances that are business-related are from your business account. Um, You're not commingling your assets and whatsoever, because in order to get that personal liability protection, you really have to show that you're keeping a separate entity from yourself. And the only way to do that is to really separate and think of your business as a separate person from yourself.
0: Now, 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 despite all of this advice Half of you listening are still going to mess this up because most businesses do start in a sole proprietor state and then they grow and either they don't create another, I don't know, it's just really easy to co So I actually uh, have a section in Million Dollar Bedroom where I talk about untangling the ball of rubber bands, where at one point my business grew so quickly and so fast that it was almost impossible to, to uh, not be co-mingled when we became an entity which only took us about a month to figure out now that required like now look as a business owner you if you're growing quickly you're just hanging on to the rocket on a lot of days and you're trying to keep going and so sometimes it's easy to put these things off and i learned a very important and powerful lesson about if you if you feel like you are creating a ball of rubber bands putting more rubber bands on the ball does not help anything. <laughs> so you you eventually have to go untangle all of that. And in my particular case, I pretty much had to shut down, uh, you know, so we were in the business of buying and selling, but we had to shut down. We, we didn't want to stop selling because that wasn't commingling anything that was already going into, but we had all these purchases and different stuff in the, in the history of the business that had to be untied. And it was just a real pain in the butt and I don't recommend that anybody go through it. So, well, Ellie, here we are. We're, we're nearly at the end of the show. And so, I, you know, once again, before we have, we're going to have, by the way, folks, no founders freestyle today. We're going to have closing arguments because, uh, well, we've got an attorney on and why not? But, you know, once again, I'd like to give a big thank you to today's sponsor, which is Universal Registered Agents. Set up your new business and maintain all aspects of your business compliance. Their goal is to make your job easier so you can focus on what you do best, which is running your business. Connect with them by visiting the UR agents link in the show notes. So they do have a long websites like universal which is really long to type in. So you can just do the letter U the letter R agents.com and it'll take you there. So now for our closing arguments, or maybe we should make the best case or the best advice that we could give to our listeners about setting up a business entity or why it's important or what to not mess up. I don't know.
1: Yeah. So I would just say what works for one person may not be right for you. And so what you want to do is weigh the factors. There's going to be a lot of economic and personal factors that are going to be relevant to the right choice that you make, and then just weigh that in combination with those legal and tax consequences that we kind of alluded to here. So look at the ease of formation and the formalities that are needed to form the business. Look at the cost. Some entities are more expensive to set up than others. Look at your ownership goals. Are there is there one owner, few owners, numerous? That might sway you one way or the other to a different type of entity. And then, of course, one of the most important Important is the tax treatment because ultimately this is what's going to impact you. Each entity has its own tax requirements and benefits. So look at the various classifications, how it will impact you and decide, you know, which level makes the most sense for you based on that uh, and and make that call in order to proceed but i would always recommend not being a sole proprietorship for that long and to really set up a separate business entity from yourself there's no reason to put your personal assets at risk when you're starting your business
0: yeah and i agree i know we're we said we're gonna have arguments but i don't have an argument with that last part because i think that's a key ingredient in fact i give that. I I wish I didn't have to give that input to other entrepreneurs so often, you know? And the thing is, is like, this isn't expensive to set up an entity in the beginning. Um, You know, a couple of things that go with this from my own experience. And uh, I mentioned prior to hitting record to Melody that I grew up in a family of attorneys, like, uh, you know, my dad and all of his brothers, in fact, they had their own law practice for years. And uh, one thing I've learned is that, you know, well, Lawyers, well, attorneys, accountants, and and specific service providers um, offer areas of expertise that is often unrelated to the others. Like so I have three different law firms Mm -hmm. that we work with at full scale because they have varied levels of expertise that are really are different from the others. So, you know, the best advice that I can give is to go get and find the best advice that you can about your business. I like, I like, uh, you know, and like I said, I, I know that, that, that Melody's from, from a law firm, but, and, and I won't make you speak to this, but what I find is really that most law firms aren't really the, they, they can help with this kind of stuff, but it's not really what they inherently do because there are so many, uh you know there there's things like u r agents that'll help kind of streamline that process and it can be fast and affordable. And you can kind of mix and mingle some of these things too. Now, you know, overall, when it comes to your business, uh, the I think one of the bigger mistakes you can get is not getting advice from experts. Um, I hear people sometimes say, they're like, oh, my attorney's $500 an hour. Okay. So I'm <laughs> going to break this down for you. You are not paying for that hour. You are paying for the many, 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 many hours that it took that person to give you the ad- to learn to give you the advice that comes in that short small block of time so you're paying for expertise thats also is that also why lawyers often never retire they just kind of <laughs> you know you're like part of it i mean in some well in some cases that there's merit to yeah. that level of expertise you know you're like they're bringing in this like you know this guy that's he, he looks like Yoda well, that in 900 years, the dude probably learned a lot of stuff. So, yeah. you know, and that's that same advice goes for accounting and a whole and a whole bevy of other things. And, you know, we're the world of business and entrepreneurship, the Internet and all of that have all have evolved to the point where so many people are creating and and allowing this level of expertise to be offered in these little fractional slices, similar to what you are agents does and like. You know, like, I think the folks that you are agents would be the first people to tell you that, that they just send you to refer you somewhere else. If you want to say, Hey, you know, Melody, I'm getting ready to raise a hundred million dollars in capital. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do that, you want to talk to attorneys or people that have been in and around that space because they have witnessed things that have gone well and other things that have not. Absolutely. How were my closing arguments? Were they any good? They were Perfect.
1: I, I will just add, I'll just add do I, do to I
0: need a career change?
1: <laughs> I think you might. Um, I'll just add to your closing argument in that um, it's just more costly to fix mistakes later than to just get it mm-hmm. right in the beginning. And so True. would definitely recommend to consult with an attorney and an accountant and make sure that you understand your options, have it clarified and have all of your questions answered before moving forward and making a decision. We often um as I mentioned mentor incubator at incubators and accelerators, but also give free consultations and talk about this all the time with startups. So
0: Yeah, and that's and that's like I said there's there's a different approach. Like I have 250 worldwide employees. The love the level, and then they're international. Yeah. And that's actually why I have to have different law firms because you get some that like deal with companies like mine that do businesses, do business overseas and other things too, is, you know, like we deal with, you know, dozens of different clients that have different types of intellectual property and understanding, like, I don't know, we're just trying to set ourselves up to not have things be a hassle. So Melody, thank you so much for joining me. And once again, thanks to URAgents.com for doing what they do and for sponsoring this episode.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. like we do it